You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast. USC 288. Okay, what's up everyone? It's me, Fenyo, and this is the Folk Preview Podcast that will begin one day if the cars outside stop making so much noise. <laughs> um, this pay-per-view is... this event is going on at the Prudential Center at New Jersey, United States. It's headlined by a bantamweight title fight between Aljamain Sterling and former champion making his return to MMA, Henry Cejudo. And it is a pretty good card. Um, I feel like I always say that shit. Uh, some cards. I have pay-per-views. Eh, I don't know. I, For me, uh, pay-per-views come included in Fight Pass. So I feel like they're decent cards because I'm not overpaying for them. <laughs> I, I probably would feel different about them if I was paying like what do you guys pay like 50 bucks for it I don't know <laughs> I stop rambling about shit and let's get into the card uh, and the opener is a good fight it's bantamweight action we have Daniel Willicat Santos against Johnny Munoz so Willicat uh, insane pressure decent footwork uh, cuts the cage well he pushes people back with combos and low kicks and put combos together against the cage. That's like where, where he shines the most. Um, he has pretty good variety and shot selection. But he's also pretty decent at countering. Uh, will change levels into takedowns against the fence. Um, he's, string, uh, he's strong with the body lock, uh, but he mostly like finishes like double legs against the cage, especially if he can get his hands locked under your butt, you're going out for a ride. Um, his biggest flaw is that he has trouble seeing strikes from the right side, especially like he's being hit with head kicks by everyone under the sun, uh, especially when he's closing distance. Uh, his pressure can be can be relieved by feints most of the time, like because he's like kind of on the reactive side, so if you faint a lot, you can... You can put him off of the of the insane pressure he puts most of, of the time. And if you put pressure on him, he tends to back up in straight lines. Especially if you follow him with volume. He's a very good scrambler. I mean he fights out of um he falls out of shooter box Diego Lima. He's a, a training partner of of Charles Oliveira, so that should tell you how good his scrambling is. And if he gets to top position, those guys are fundamental from top position. He's pretty smothering. Uh, Willigas has very good cardio. He pushes an, an insane pace. And, and that allows him to have very good recovery when hurt. I've said like he's been hurt by head kicks in, in both his UFC fights. More than one head kick by fight. And he was not put out. Like He has great recovery. And his, um, his opponent is Johnny Munoz Jr., um, he prefers a long range where he can impose ranging weapon, weapons, especially his jab, uh, the low kicks, and front kicks. Uh, front kicks to the body are pretty good. He will usually close distance with the jab to throw combinations, like step in with the jab and start, start looking for the hooks. 
uh, he has a, a very big right hand when, uh, that he can throw on the counter as well. The active lead hand and the decent footwork allowed him to, to respond to pressure and get back to open space when he needs to. But you know he likes to fight like in, in the neutral space. His defense relies a lot on, on distance and, and long guard, like establishing like frames and that kind of stuff, or like parries, but from way outside of the body. Uh, but he also uses a, a pretty decent high able shield after jabbing that keeps him safe. Uh, his chin can stay upright, especially when retreating or when he's like closing distance against retreating opponent. He he usually goes after them with like shifting one twos, and the chin is like way way up high. He's solid offensively and defensively as a wrestler. Uh, he's good at using the front headlock. Uh, pretty decent at wall walking when he gets like taken down and he gets his back to the fence. Um, he has a pretty like decent double leg from transitions, especially after the overhand, he can change levels pretty quick. And um, once on the ground, I would say his best his best games is when he gets to take the back. I mean, he's very creative with taking the back. He's pretty long and he can establish hooks from like weird positions. And from there, he has a, a good rear naked choke. So on this one, I feel like Munoz will have troubles with Santos pressure. I said like he can jab and move side to side and that will be helpful in this fight. But I think uh, his defense will be exposed, especially when Santos starts putting combinations together. Uh, Munoz is long and has popping his hands. So, so I expect him to have his moments here, but his reactions backing up and especially the wide movements that he makes with his feet when, when trying to bait it uh, strikes will probably cost him in the long run. Munoz can switch to Selpo. I've seen him switch to Selpo, so he he should definitely try his luck with with left high kick. Maybe he's the one to to get that that left high kick knockout. Because that, that really seems to be a blind a blind spot for Wilcat. But other than that, I expect Santos to win uh, a decision on this one. That's the pick. Next fight is a middleweight bout between Joseph Holmes and Claudio Hibero. So Holmes is very long, fights behind a jab and low kicks mostly from the outside. Um, the thing is that with Holmes is that he has like a very long jab, but especially because he used like a stepping jab, but he's not able like to follow up when he throws the stepping jab. He mostly follows up in combinations when he with he throws a, like a, a shorter jab from stance. It's different from other guys that only throw combinations after the stepping jab, like oh, some weird quirks that some fighters have. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he can put combinations together, especially when countering. And he has pretty like fast hands and puts combos together pretty well. He's dangerous with knees, both leading and countering. So you gotta watch out for that. He is pretty dexterous and he's a tall guy. Uh, when he's pressured, he defaults to framing and can be pretty easy to push him against the fence, mostly with just presence, you don't need match to pressure him. His grappling relies a lot on length, both to get up and to get like sweeps going. And he's like a pretty poor defensive wrestler, I would say. He he can be like easily controlled if you if he's not allowed like to use his length to post and to turtle. And also, like, he poses his back a lot when turtling. 
when he gets when he gets the back, he's pretty good though. That that I would say that's the best part of his grappling game is that he's good from back control. And on the other hand, we have Hibero, athletic, powerful, a lot of heavy naked low kicks from from distance. He looks to throw big loopy combos on the counter. The shin is up in the air like all the time, all the time. Uh, he he looks to be very physically strong in the clinch. And he has some semblance about like pummeling and circling back to the center of the cage. So, so at least he knows he has to do that and he has the physicality to get it going. Uh, pretty much everything else about him is unknown at this level of competition, really. Uh, we've only seen him fight like one good fighter, what decent fighter that was Abdul Razak Al Hassan, and he got knocked out in there. But he looked okay, I guess. Uh, when it comes to this fight, uh, Holmes' defense can get sketchy, especially against the cage. And his reliance on the jab could be maybe punished by Rivero's uh, leg kicks. I mean, he kicks really, really hard, but you need the timing. I haven't seen him like implement that, like countering the jab with leg kicks game, but maybe. But, but that being said, Holmes has a very big reach advantage in this one. And I, I think his game looks more sustainable and reliable, to be honest. This one's hard to predict, to be honest, but if I, I'm here to make picks, so uh, I'm choosing Holmes by knockout on the second round. Next bout is a flyweight one. We have the man with two wives, Shalgas Chumagulov. Check out his new haircut for this fight. <laughs> He's fighting the the debutant, uh, Rafael Stevan, fighting out of uh, Nova Uniao. Shumagulov, steady pressure, closest distance behind single strikes, uh, has a, a heavy inside leg kick, a pretty good dipping jab as well, has pretty decent footwork, especially pressuring. Uh, he mostly is looking to counter with a big overhand right, and he can mix in with combinations with the left hook, both to the body and to the head. He's pretty good at catching kicks, getting takedowns, or countering the, the, the caught kicks with right hands. Can stand combinations against the cage with heavy hands attacking both levels. He has trouble reading jabs, especially of active fainters, and his defense kind of falls apart uh, when he's put on the back foot, like mostly retreats in a, in a straight line, and he being a short fighter for the division, not very good news. He has a pretty explosive level change, uh, level change against the fence, but he has trouble establishing control, especially against like lanky opponents. Some guys that are like over 5'5 five five in this in this flyweight division. He has good strikes in transitions though, and so when he gets the takedowns going, uh, mostly of most of the time he doesn't uh, achieve like any meaningful top position, but he can get good strikes like punches on knees when the fighters are trying to get back to to their feet. He can fade late into fights. And when he fades, like you can put him on the back foot, and there he's a lot less effective. But when he's on, like Shumagulov is a very good fighter. On the other hand, we have Hamos Esteban. He's pretty long for the division, but it, I would say he's somewhat sloppy striker. Uh, has a, a big right hand, and he's constantly spamming left kicks. Uh, I mean, kicks from both sides on the feet because he's a, a switch hitter. But the, the thing with, with Hamos is that his whole game revolves around changing levels into a pretty decent, a pretty decently quick double leg. 
and then get the fight to the ground. Uh, he has sufficient finishes with double against the cage. Not a lot of variety in his chain wrestler, but he's very tenacious. Like he can be denied and he can reshoot immediately, something that not a lot of fighters are willing to do. I think his cardio seems to be very good for doing that. And the thing is that he can establish control very well during transitions from a, uh, from a number of positions. He's a very good grappler. He's an excellent top player with good fundamentals, solid base, good passes. And especially of note is his ground and pound. Like, it's not very heavy, but he's constantly controlling the wrist to set up the uh, shots. You can tell he has like a system going on, the guys of Novo Niao. Oh, not a, not a lot of them are known for for their ground and pound, but you can tell that these guys are the kind of guys that drill ground and pound are not like wall cheating at the moment. Uh, he's also good at finding strikes and takedowns in transitions. Uh, it's very tough. Like his defense on the feet is not very good, and I've seen him take huge shots. And he the durability is there. Um, yeah, the condition also very good. In this fight, um, I would say Stevan needs to, to take this one to the ground or that or take over with his pace and the aggression on the feet. Like he's not, as I've been saying a lot, he's not a very good striker, but he can throw heat and he's pretty much fearless, has the conditioning. And that sometimes is just enough to break people. I've seen him like throw like five kicks in a row and fire sometimes just cannot deal with that. So it's not impossible for him to win. Uh, he's a very controlling grappler who wears his opponents. Uh, he wears opponents out. Uh, the constant ground and pound. And, and then when fighters get to the feet, again, he's relentless on the feet, looking for takedowns, spamming kicks, throwing hard shots. And we've seen Shuma tire in the past. But I think uh, Chuma Gulov seems to be a step above the competition that Stevan has seen in his career so far, both as an athlete, as an athlete, as an a complete MMA fighter. This is a good matchup, but I feel like Chalgas Chumagulov is, is a solid enough defensive wrestler and, and she's plainly just a better and more powerful striker than the opposition that Stevan is used to. The biggest Chumagulov by decision. The next fight is a middleweight fight. Ikram Aliskerov versus Phil Hoss. Alskero is a pressuring wrestler with a big right hand. You know the type. We've seen many of those in MMA. He's not very layered defensively, but he knows how to change levels or look for clinches to, see, to stay safe in open space. Always good to have that um, like layer of defense when you're not a, a layer striker. He has a quick level change and, and decent timing, and that allows him to look for the double leg, the knee tap, the single leg. Uh, he has a pretty, uh, pretty decent series going on there, but he can be stuff in open space because he doesn't have the like very good setups. As I say, he relies a lot on his the quickness of the level change and having like a good eye for for the timing. Uh, in open space, he doesn't like uh, chain wrestle much. I've seen him like if you get under hooks, that's probably going the the takedown is over right there. Uh, he mostly shines when he gets his man against the cage and can work on finishes there. He, the, there he's a bit more tenacious with his finishes and he's pretty physically strong. On top position he gets very dangerous because he has fluid transitions and pressure and that allows him to look for a variety of submissions 
and secure my returns when the fighter is trying to get back up, especially if he gets like the back body lock, or uh, pretty decent at getting at getting mad returns like that. Uh, one thing to note is he constantly attacks the arms when going for submissions. Uh, I see him like trap guys with chicken wings. He goes for kimuras. He go for americanas, but he also has like traditional like BJJ armbars. So he's like a like a guy that's going to go after your your arms. And his opponent, Fijos, uh, an athletic wrestler, kickboxer, has a good jab and a straight right. Those those are the foundation of his game, really. He maintains good distance despite not being like very long for the division. He he fights from a from a long range, and he can put shots from the outside with heavy strikes. If he gets to pressure, he can put short combinations together, and, and he's pretty good at playing off the threat of different strikes. Uh, we saw that in his fight against um, that that very the wrong win. <laughs> I was about to say the short fat guy, but yeah, I mean he started with the jab, but then he started using the feint of the stepping jab to set up the elbows and stuff like that. So he has. Good eye for creativity when when attacking combinations, and he's he's also very good at at finding strikes in clean in clinch breaks. When he gets like like fr framing off with the uh, with the loose collar tie and and going with the big overhand with the other hand, or just like when the your opponent is retreating, just grabbing a clinch uh, a quick double collar tie and finding big knees like that. Uh, the biggest problem for Hoss on the feet is that. Yeah, the, the defense is pretty shallow. He can freeze or he can overreact to strikes. And if he gets like gets caught doing that, he can be exposed for combinations. Or sometimes like be blindsided by strikes that he's not expecting. Uh, he relies a lot on his he doesn't have really have uh, a defensive system that goes like two steps in. So he starts to react there and he if he's not if you set him up with like, with like a feint or something like that, you can catch catch him pretty well. Uh, Hoss is good at finding takedowns during transitions. Uh, he's pretty strong takedown defender. Uh, the problem is that I've seen him like getting stuffed against the cage. That's a big problem. He's not very urgent about like fighting grips and turning his his back to the middle of the to the center of the cage. Uh, from top from top position, he's solid. Uh, with a heavy base, but he can sometimes be a, a little bit too inactive. Uh, but if he gets to to half guard, the ground and pound is pretty solid. This one is a big step up in competition in competition for Aliskerov. Um, Field horse is like the best combinations, best combination of athleticism and wrestling that he has seen so far. Uh, I would say horse also has like a striking advantage, uh, skill wise. No, so this one probably an uphill battle for the Russian. Uh, Hoss need to be uh, careful during transitions because uh, both will be looking for takedowns there. And um, if Hoss ends up on the floor with Aliskero on top, could be game over Aliskero very solid from top position. But other than that, uh, Hoss has been historically hard to take down. I mean, he's a very decorated wrestler. And despite the sketchy defense here and there, uh, I think Hoss has shown uh, a decent decent enough sheen and gas tank. So, Phil Hoss by decision is the big on this one.
and it's time for the big boys. You know, every every pay per view needs a heavyweight bout. This one was uh, a bit too much to put on the main card. I, I I'm sure Dana White wanted to put this one on the main card, but he was advised by by someone more more wise to not do that. But yeah, it's Parker Porter versus another debutant, Braxton Smith. So Porter, I'm reading the notes that I previously wrote about Porter, by the way. <laughs> uh, he's plodding, he's a well-rounded fighter. He fights at a constant pace, mixes up with the clinches, the takedowns, and that usually like wear, wear down opponents. He's a functional striker, and uh, he can make reads as the fight goes on. The decently athletic, uh, Porter, not a very good wrestler, to be honest. But, but he's a decent grappler. Like you can tell, the guy puts on the gi and does his, his jiu-jitsu. Uh, but as a wrestler, we've seen him taken down. We've seen him like shoot not very good takedowns, to be honest. But by a good grappler, like he, very heavy from top position. And he has surprisingly good cardio, to be honest, Porter. And that's that's one of the, the his best assets to win to win fights in this division. And uh, Smith, on the other hand, is stocky and very explosive as a puncher. He gets wilder in combinations, but he's deceptively quick, especially close in distance. In you would not expect a guy like like him to close distance so quick. Uh, but pretty pretty much everything else unknown like he's he's never seen a second round in his career he he gets knockouts all the time on the first round and uh, not a not against very good composition um smith is very dangerous we've seen porter get get clocked in the past but this is a big step up man porter is tough he's big he has the experience to win like long fights so i think if Braxton Smith doesn't get the knockout earlier, unless he's like secretly good, and I doubt it, um, I think Porter wins this one by decision. Next one is a strawweight bout between Marina Rodriguez and Birna Jandirova. So Rodriguez, she stays very long behind the one-twos and the front kicks to the leg and to the body. Those interesting like leg kicks, uh, front, I mean front kicks to the, to the leg are, are pretty cool. If your opponent backs up too much, she can close distance with like uh, shifting one twos and punctuate combinations with very heavy leg kicks. Uh, once she starts, uh, once she gets her feints going, she can add some variety to the combinations, especially the hooks start to appear and the roundhouse kicks. She can counter moving backwards, especially with a looping right hand, but her chin stays up in the air when she's doing that. Her defense relies mostly on managing distance and grabbing clinches, but the good news is that she's very aggressive from color ties and frames uh, with elbows, with knees. Uh, she's good at like controlling the wrists, grabbing the biceps and landing big strikes from a variety of positions in the clinch. She has good balance and strong hips in the clinch too, but we've seen her being taken down by trips and body lock takedowns in the past. Uh, not much of a grappler, but but she's patient and disciplined about defending submissions. And that is said by by her physical strength. She's pretty strong for the division. And her opponent is Jandirova. She's janky, but like weirdly athletic. Um, 
I was describing her in my mind like uh, as athletic, like Roxanne Modafferi <laughs> somehow. Um, her striking at range is mostly one twos. She has some good ideas of circling, but the head movement is like lacking pretty big time. Uh, Jandiro is a strong wrestler and clinch fighter. She's good at landing clinch, uh, knees in the clinch. And she has a good eye for striking transitions, especially like big punches during breaks or head kicks, stuff like that. She has a variety of takedowns. Um, as an offensive wrestler, she's pretty interesting. She can finish the double and single legs and chain them both, both against the cage. And in open space, uh, also good with like upper body takedowns. Uh, I don't know if she has like a judo background or anything, but, but I've seen her like throw like wizard kicks, hip throws and, and stuff like that. And she can also like just drop to the legs to create scrambles. Uh, she's a very creative grappler with constant submission from multiple, multiple positions, but also has solid top control when she, when she wants to. Uh, the problem is that she can sometimes lose position going for, for submissions. She, she hunts for submissions very aggressively, but if she finds her, her, herself uh, on bottom position, he can wrestle her way up and has good sweeps too, as well. I think uh, one problem that Jadiro has in, with her grappling is that she can like forget about ground and pound when she's getting like into a jiu-jitsu match on the ground. Um, this fight at range, Rodriguez clearly big advantage. Uh, I mean, Jadiro has popped, but Rodriguez is the bigger puncher of the two and more more relaxed, um, more nuanced as well, I would say. Uh, this could get interesting if Birna starts using the, the threat of the takedown. Uh, Marina has a strong fierce layer takedown defense, but Janirova can change her attempts and has variety. So if, if something doesn't work, she can move on to next option. Clean should also be interesting because Rodriguez is more damaging there, but Birna probably can compete physically with her and the, the threat of takedowns sometimes make clinch interesting. Uh, doing a bit of MMA math here, Marina was able to survive in the ground against uh, unconvincingly but uh, beat uh, Mackenzie Dern on the feet. And Mackenzie Dern had herself a com very competitive fight with Jan Tirova. And Dern won that fight mostly being the more dynamic and like slightly cleaner boxer. But but Jandirova in the in the Darren fight showed that she was the superior wrestler of the two, so it could get could get interesting because like Darren obviously more dangerous on the ground I would say, but couldn't get the takedowns against Rodriguez, right? But maybe Jandirova ha uh, maybe Jandirova is able to get those takedowns because she's a better wrestler. Uh, still, the matchup is similar, I would say, of that of Rodriguez versus Dern. And I don't know, I feel like Marina is good enough to keep fights on the feet. And the power and the decent management are on her side. I'm picking Rodriguez by decision, but this one is, is very, very tough to pick. After that, we have unranked welterweights, baby. You know, I love those. <laughs> it's Chaos Williams versus another debut. Uh, Peruvian Rolando Bedoya. So Chaos Williams, he either walks forwards or like chills at range. I don't know how how he choose either one of the other. 
and there he's like looking to score with jabs or low kicks. It's mostly a, a low volume fighter. What he really wants is either like close distance with a shifty wide combination or like throws mad hands on the counter. Williams has, it's not really a, like a technical boxer, but he packs immense power in both hands. Uh, he has like good timing and accuracy to make use of that power. He's athletic and physically strong. He can get takedowns here and there. He's pretty solid from top position. You can, he gets his time on the mat, I can tell. Uh, Williams is mostly hurt by his low volume and the lack of setups. Like he runs out of ideas like pretty quick. The defense is average, but it's mostly aided by the power, the threat of his power. I would say. On the other, on the other hand, we have Bedoya. He's a volume kickboxer. Uh, he's love, he loves staying in striking range, put together like touch combos, putting two to four punches, and then finishing either with the left hook or a leg kick. Um, even though he has some defensive tricks, when he has like the right reads, he can slip into pivots with his, with his head into shots, do some mixed direction with his feet. He can be very hittable, especially early in fights because he likes to stay in range like so much. And, and you can tell like he has like this predetermined movements. He doesn't really have like a defensive system going on. Uh, he's easily well-rounded, can wrestle a little bit and can punish with ground and pound from top position. And also has like decent chokes. So he's not a, a, a one-dimensional fighter. Uh, the conditioning and the pace are probably his best assets. Like he throws insane volume when he's allowed to. Uh, Bedoya will find him, himself fighting a completely different level of athlete than this one. Like it's crazy. The, the guys that he'd been fighting here in South America are not like Chaos Williams. <laughs> I think Bedoya is certainly the more thoughtful and craftier striker of the two guys here. Uh, maybe if he gets his groove going and survives like an early scare or two, he might have a chance of winning this fight, but I think the defensive lapses and he's, him staying in range for so long and uh, I've seen him like get hurt by like regional jiu-jitsu guys in the past. And Williams is like a monster hitter that puts people like super out. So I gotta go with, with Chaos Williams by knockout on the first round on this one. But if it goes long, who knows? Oh boy, like heavyweight. It's Devin Clark versus Kennedy and Sechuku. So Clark, stocky, athletic. His stand-up game is mostly like pot shotting with single strikes, short combos, naked kicks. Uh, the, like his gimmick is that he, he includes some like tricky hook kicks and side kicks. <laughs> uh, he mostly is trying like with this pot shotting to, to push opponents against the cage or set up a transition and try for a takedown. Uh, wouldn't describe Clark as a very technical wrestler. I mean, not, not in the context of MMA because he doesn't get like the entries. Well, the, the entries are, are pretty messy. And he doesn't really like chain like different takedown attempts. He mostly like grinds looking for finishes. But he has the cardio to keep pushing for takedowns and clinches. And he's like very physically strong. If he gets deep in his opponent's hips, they're getting picked up and put down. The, the controlling grappling can be hit and miss. Sometimes he establishes like half, half control or a wrist ride, and that allows him to get like strong ground pound going. 
And other times, like, guys just, like, get up. And inconsistency has been one of the, like, key aspects of Devin Clark's career. Now, obviously, he would be, like, a lot better if he, like, learned how to box or something bad. But if he, if he played more to his advantages, he would be a, a better fighter for sure. Uh, the defense on the feet is very suspect, especially against combinations. But the level changes and the clinches work as defensive manu maneuvers here. And his opponent, Seshuku, is an enormous self-power. And he looks to engage from the outside with a 1-2 from a low, like, front-heavy stance that accentuates his, like, monstrous reach. He has, like, 79-inch reach. Uh, and Seshuku doesn't have, like, a deep skill set anywhere. But to me, he seems like a composed and a smart fighter that tries to find answers to the problems that are being presented to him. Uh, he has decent wrestling, and that's obviously aided by him being fucking giant and being long and strong. Uh, to be honest, like he has uh, fundamentally sound grappling that rounds up his game. The biggest weakness for Seshuku is the, the lack of depth on the feet, especially defensively. Like, if he doesn't, like, adjust the distance, he can get hit hard. But, but the, the shin is, is pretty decent. So, both fighters come from winning a fight against a similar matchup. Like, Clark was able to grind a, a W against a uh, long striker, Daun Jong. Daun Jong, who has a knockout win over Seshiku. And uh, Kennedy knocked out a stocky wrestler in Iwon Kutulaba in his last fight. To me, this one boils down to Clark's ability to safely push the pace and Seshuku's ability to keep him on the outside or end up in top positions when they end up, like, dangling in wrestling. Clark, to me, seems a bit too vulnerable, vulnerable on the feet, especially against someone so long. And I don't think that the top game of Clark is damaging enough to win this one. So even if he gets a takedown, it's not like game over for Nsejuku. I'm think I'm feeling Nsejuku by second second round knockout. And with that, we move to the main event of the prelims. And this one is a good one. Lightweight division, Drew Dover versus Matt Frebola. Dover, bounces southpaw, fights uh, at a pretty steady pace. He's powerful and athletic, but fights measured more, most of the time. Uh, he has very good fundamental, like open stand striking, very active lead hand. He can use the lead hand to both uh, fight hands or jab, sometimes both in the same sequence. And has pretty good variety with the, with punching with the left side. He has a straight left hand, an overhand, uh, a tight hook too. And can also like throw a mean shovel uppercut to the body. That accompanied by a heavy left kick that he can throw in all three levels, like make up most of his game. He has solid defense. Um, uh, we've seen him being mostly vulnerable to straight shots set up by feints or like being countered while extending combos because like Dover, when he he goes in like with a combo on his head, he's, he stays pretty sharp technically, but when exchanging in the in the pocket uh, on the terms of his opponents, he can he can throw like very wide hooks and he can be countered like that. 
But he has very good distance management. And the footwork is pretty clever, both offensively and defensively in the pocket. Uh, he plays a lot with the with moving from inside to outside position with his lead foot during one combination. And he can slip into counters very well too. Uh, the, the chin is absurd and he has good cardio too. Uh, the takedown defense is mostly solid, especially the first layer because very heavy hips, good balance, instinct to go for underhooks, but the lack of depth uh, can, ex can be exposed by a, a decent chain wrestler. Uh, same with the grappling, it's solid but not very dynamic. Uh, he relies a lot on athleticism and strength to make like very basic technique works in scrambles, but he can be neutralized by like more nuanced top players. We saw that against Mahachev, for example, against Dariush too. And Frebola, Frebola is well-rounded, he's solid everywhere, that's like his thing. His striking can be like a bit disjointed, and his mechanics are a bit wonky, but he has power and he has variety. He likes to feint his way in or close distance with like short combinations with big strikes, mostly with looping shots, but he can also like straighten up into a clean one-two here and there. Uh, the thing with Frebola is that he does not like like a nuanced jab, like he can get a jab going here and there, but you can tell that he does not like base his game uh, around fighting behind a jab and that means that he can have trouble maintaining volume during fights. He has defensive lapses on the feet and he can be lured into like slowing the pace of the fight but he still like always keep working like even if the pace is not like super steady you can you can count on Frebolon doing stuff during fights. He has very good eye for strikes in transition uh, especially dangerous during clinch breaks and uh, he's uh, like an insane scrambler and very active on the clinch. Uh, he gets tired sometimes in fights, especially if he gets like to push at an insane pace, but he fights tired like pretty well and the well-roundness uh, of him gets better with momentum. And the chin is also very good. This one should be a fun one by all accounts, but I feel like Frebola is at gun on this one. Like Dover lead hand and Selpa stance are likely to to win him the fight at, at the long range. And the way Frebola closes distance would put him in line, in the line of fire of Dover, who is like the cleaner and harder puncher here. Frebola needs, needs to mix it up with the wrestling a lot, to be honest. And he has the power to be dangerous on clinch breaks, especially. So there are there are paths to victory, but they are like hard to get to. I think Dover seems stylistically and physically a, a step up too big at the moment for Frebola. Um, I'm picking Dover by second second round knockout. And with that, the main card opens up with a classic uh, grappler versus striker matchup. We have Kron Gracie of the legendary family fighting against Canadian Charles Jordan. Gracie uh, on the feet, mostly a salpo boxer. He's very raw, but he keeps very active with the jab. He tries to like swarm opponents with double jabs and the one-twos, uh, or either that or like walking behind a high guard looking to counter with hooks, especially uh, a check right hook that is pretty decent. Uh, usually what he's doing is tries he tries to grab a color tie off the right hook 
to get into the clinch, where he's a very active striker with small punches, mixing in the hard shot here and there. Very, very Aladias brothers. Once in the clinch, he has uh, uh, various options to get the fight to the floor. If he gets two over-unders, he has, he has hip throws and trips from the wizard side. Um, and from the underhook side, he'll often try to swim to the back, where he can take the back standing or trips his opponent from there. He's also adept at pulling guard, like actually a decent guard puller, especially if he gets like wrist control or an overhook going. Uh, from his back, you know, obviously a very dangerous grappler. He plays a very like old school uh, uh, guard jiu-jitsu game with the armbar triangle or mobile thing. Uh, but his incredible flexibility allowed him to take the back from a number of positions from crazy stuff like uh, the way he ha I've seen him take the back from from close guard it's crazy uh, but but we've seen him uh, being stifled on his close guard a few times not for very long time but something to watch out for and um, and he gets he also is very good at using like leg entanglements uh making the opponent believe that he's going to go for, for a heel hook or an bar or something and then he just moves to the back from there and he's excellent at finishing the rear naked choke uh, one of the best that we've seen since Damian Maya in the sport uh Jordan the jank to the to Kron's gene is <laughs> a dynamic action fighter he strikes well from both stances He's good at using like immediate setups to get big shots going. He can throw clean strike shots, but he also likes to step in with like enormous shifting hooks. <laughs> he loves, you can tell Jordan loves to, to throw hard. I like when he like frame off strikes to follow up with even more <laughs> big strikes. He's also a dexterous kicker, kicking the head at the body with great speed. Uh, his shifts when he's trying to close distance can push him in the clinch, but there he's good at the, like fighting grips uh, to land like knees and elbows. He's very aggressive. Uh, the head positioning pretty decent on the clinch too. Uh, if he gets you against the clinch, he's very dangerous because he swarms with like tight boxing combinations, and then if you grab a clinch, he gets he still gets going with the knees and the elbows. Uh, the footwork on the outside can be a bit messy, especially if you're making him retreat. And he he has been easy to pressure to the gauge sometimes by like not like very clever tactics, but just like the presence of his opponent. Uh, like he he needs to like build that confidence to stay his ground, I guess. And also like his clinch entries can leave him exposed uh, footwork wise, footwork wise. And he's not like the most stern takedown defender. He mostly relies on scrambling from the ground, like using guillotines or butterfly hooks to get up to his feet. And uh, this fight makes me very conflicted. Um, the thing here to me, uh, what I saw in tape, it was the fight between Jordan and Burgos. And not because Burgos took Jordan down, obviously, like Burgos and Kron Gracie, like nothing alike. But it was the way he did it, because he did it with the stuff that Kron Gracie likes to do. Uh, like taking advantage of Jordan's sloppy moments with his position in the clinch and swimming to the back. As I said, that's like Kron Gracie loves to do that. He did that against Alex Caceres. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, don't want, you do not want Kron Gracie in your back.
Uh, but on the other hand, like Jardine was not fighting to avoid uh, the ground at all costs, as I assume he will do here. So maybe Jardine can replicate the Kof Swanson fight uh, that he had against Gracie. But I, I don't know, man. We've never seen that kind of discipline performance by by Jordan. Um and also like he he's coming off like losing big portions of a fight in the clinch in his last fight. So I mean, it, this one is really a two outcome fight. I'm taking the gamble with with Kron like finding the back and finishing with a submission in round one. But I don't know. And we stay at featherweight. The next one is a mutated fight. This was supposed to be Bryce Mitchell's Bryce Mitchell versus Jonathan Pierce. Then Pierce pulled out of the fight. Ivloyev uh, replaced Pierce, and then and then Bryce Mitchell, like two days ago, like pulled out of the fight as well. And we have Diego Lopez uh, uh, filling in in short notice. So it's a completely different fight. So yeah. Um, Mofsar Ivloyev versus Diego Lopez at featherweight is the fight. Ivloyev, active fainter, builds up his game around his jab. He keeps opponent at bay with it. And that allows him to put combinations together or force them to lead so he can wait for counter opportunities. He's good at moving his head and pivoting after countering. Stepping knees and kicks at variety. He's pretty dexterous with those. When, when he's pushed back, his defense mostly defaults to like framing with the lead hand and hiding behind his shoulder. Uh, and, and that works more of the time, especially because he has good footwork, but he can be caught in, in those positions here and there. Uh, Ibloye, excellent transition wrestling. He has good level changes of the deep in jab, of the overhand into clean double legs, but he can also like chain wrestle against the cage with trips, with single legs, he can swim to the back. Uh, he has good technical ground and pound, um, mostly revolves around like wrist control. And he's also like adept at using rights and back takes uh, to maintain top control. So it's very well put together fighter and has like, maybe not the, the size for featherweight, but he has a th athleticism and the, the right mind to make use of all the tools that he has a very, very well put together game. Uh, Lopez, on the other hand, uh, pretty long for the division. He mostly boxes out of an upright stance with a decent jab. But what he wants is like looking to draw people in to counter with uh, decently heavy hooks to the head and to the body. Uh, he likes to like box in close quarters after like popping uh, his opponent with the jab here and there. Uh, his head movement is not great, but he stays pretty aware in the pocket and he has pop in both hands. Uh, he is mostly a grappler. Uh, some might know Diego Lopez as the as training partner at Jiu-Jitsu coach of Alexa Grasso and Irene Aldana at Lovo Gym. I'm not sure if he's fighting out of Lovo Gym at the moment. Um, but yeah, he's a dangerous grappler. Uh, from his back, he plays like a pretty old school BJJ, uh, similar to what I said about Kron. Uh, mostly about like the, the triangle, the armbar, that kind of stuff. He also like looks to for Kimuras and guillotines from guard. Um, but he's also good at like uh, creating leg entanglements to get the scrambles going. Uh, by the way, uh, Lopez is at his most dangerous with the front headlock. Like, a, a big array of chokes he has. Uh, the Dars, the Anaconda, Guillotine, Armin, Arm Out, and the, all the basics. But he has like a big variety of setup for those 
And if he gets to the back, very unforgiving with the rear naked choke as well. The thing with Lopez is that he can be stalled from guard. Uh, he relies a lot on on his opponents like trying to to land ground on pound or making passes going to to generate his scrambles. And his takedown defense is is solid, but it's not great. Uh, Lopez is a good fighter, but the matchup is very very rough for him. He 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 backs power on the feet. He's willing to trade in the pocket, and his front choke game can maybe give some problems to Ibloyev, but the logic the logic indicates here that this should be smooth sailing for Ibloyev. He's the superior striker, he's a stronger wrestler, and he has more than adequate top control to bank time on top position, so Ibloyev by decision is the pick. Yet another strawway fight, we have Jessica Andrade versus Jan Xiaonan. So you know Andrade. She looks to walk people down to land his, her huge hooks. Decent pressure in footwork, but she doesn't really like use her attacks to move people into her strikes. So she can like sidestep and pivot with her with her rear foot, but she she's not actually like moving people into her strikes. She mostly like stays on top of you and then moves forward. Uh, kind of similar to to what like Nick Diaz used to do back in the day with obviously very different tools and attributes but but similar like they can stay on top of you uh, with pressure in footwork but then you can like just bail out with like a feint uh, a single strike the, they are not like very like when it gets to the time of exchanging and maintaining pressure they 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 lose it uh, she has very strong leg kicks, um, and I like when she likes like to parry attacks and come back with counters. I think that's like her best, her, her best skill on the feet. Obviously, huge power Andrade has. She's incredibly physically strong, good cardio, carries her power late, attacks the body big sometimes. I mean, sometimes she forgets to do it, but. But yeah, when she goes to the body, she goes huge to the body. And she also can like, add uppercuts for variety. Uh, if she gets you against the cage, we all know the slams. Uh, good, Very good guillotine as well, either by her enormous strength. Uh, the thing with Adriana is that she's very inconsistent with her shot selection. As I said, sometimes forget the leg kicks, sometimes doesn't go to the body. And the defense as well, like sometimes she's moving her head side to side, he's taking angles. Sometimes she's just like moving forward and banking to win exchanges with her power only. Uh, her opponent, Yan Jaonan, long kickboxer, mostly pokes from the outside with the, with the side kicks and the inside leg kick. Uh, usually reserving the jab to close distance to throw quick combinations. Uh, stiff counter right hand is probably her best punch. Um, he puts like quick combos together again incoming opponents. Uh, when it gets to the clinch, she's pretty urgent about like fighting hands and disengage if she doesn't want to be there. But if you like put too much pressure on her, she can like proactively like grab a clinch, land some knees and disengage. She's very disciplined about going in and out and exiting on angles after after exchanges. She's not like a very like tight pivot kind of girl, but uh, but she always is sidestepping and circle outside after getting into a combination. 
Uh, I think in this one, Andrade probably needs to fight like a decent fight, like just not go in there thinking I'm going to exchange and I'm going to win. Uh, because if she goes in there like working forward, expecting to win early, uh, she might be surprised with with Jan's commitment to to moving around her. And she also like Jan Xiaonan, a pretty good athlete on her own right. Ideally, Andrade needs to like kick the legs, go to the body while moving forward and get like Xiaonan to get into like extend her combinations and and like forget her discipline. Andrade probably losing a step, like physically, maybe skill-wise as well. Uh, so Jan Xiaonan, I think, has a pretty good shot of making this close or even taking over, like frustrating uh, Andrade, like moving on the outside, like we saw uh, Joanna Jonchechik do uh, deuce, uh, many years ago. But nah, I don't know, man. I, I would have to, to see it first. Uh, probably Jan Xiaonan has a shot for sure. Uh, it's not like a super easy pick like some Andrade fights in the past, but I'm still picking Andrade by decision. And for your co-main event, we have a special feature because we have a non-title fight, five-round fight between Bilal Mohamed and Gilbert Burns. So Gilbert Burns, constantly feigning on the outside, especially like threatening with the level change. He fights behind a jab and leg kicks. He's looking to set up the overhand and the left hook or time across counter of the opposing jab, change levels into the takedowns. So... He's like filling the gaps with the jab, the leg kicks, looking to find the opportunity to throw power, counter, or drop down to the knees for looking to the takedown. He has big power, good durability, decent cardio. He's physically strong in the clinch and can transitions to strikes or look to get the fight to the mat with body lock takedowns, trips, dropping to the legs against the cages, like super well-rounded as fighter. Uh, from the bottom, Gilbert Burns, brilliant scrambler. Like, will generate space, give no openings for mad returns. And he makes, like, his technical grappling with his explosiveness, with his athleticism. That's one thing that differentiates it from other, like, accomplished jiu-jitsu players that has, have transitions, have transitioned to MMA in the past. Uh, from top position, smothering, very heavy, has a variety of submission. And all of those are aided by his strength, his grip, his squeeze. And his mount game is the most dangerous because he he plays like the classic like rear naked choke, arm triangle, finishes and with his same squeeze, his his like brilliant positioning, he's very dangerous with there. And on the other hand we have uh, Bilal Mohammed, also a very well rounded fighter. Um but more like like Burns knows how to do stuff in every phase. Uh, but he has like very clear stuff that he wants to do. Bilal is more like well-rounded that he has like the baseline abilities in all areas. Um, he has a good job. He fights with the one-two, with the kicks, uh, maintains a constant pace. And even though he doesn't have like great variety with his shot selection, he makes like small adjustments with the timing, when adding a certain strike here and there, maybe head kick, maybe a left hook to the body, something, something. And the thing with Mohammed is that he's versatile with his directionality. He can fight like stick and move on the outside. He can pressure, he can do both. And, and he maintained like the same pace and he's 
decently defensively fighting both ways. And that's a big advantage that he has against over other fighters. Uh, Bilal Mohamed, very solid takedown defense. Uh, he has decent entries into takedowns of his own. And he's physically very strong as well. And the cardio is impeccable by, by Mohamed. He doesn't tire fights just the same the whole fight. At first glance, uh, skill-wise, Burns looks like a bad matchup for Mohamed, I would say. He's a heavier-handed boxer with strong counter-punching. Um, he has a heavy kicks on the outside to fight against Mohamed. He's a strong offensive wrestler and probably has the luxury that Mohamed will not want to take him down. But what Bilal has going on in this fight is the commitment to game plans. Uh, he stays in power. He like, as I said, he fights the whole fight the same. He stays there. And sometimes that's just enough to start winning fights, especially over five rounds, because this fight is scheduled for five, as I said. Uh, Bilal also, I would say, seems closer to his physical prime. Like, Burns only has, like, a couple more fights, and he's, like, two years older, I think. But... And at this stage, I would say Burns is still the more explosive fighter of the two. But I would not be surprised if like Bilal Mohammed looks like quicker uh, when it comes to reactions and when, when it comes to moving around the cage. And especially if Burns like tires late. Uh, Burns to win this fight needs to put it together and get like a lead early on to win. Like ideally get a takedown or like land a good like hard like cross counter or something to hurt Bilal Mohammed to like to stay on the driver's seat. Uh, Bilal on the other hand needs to like fight I would say I would recommend for Bilal even if it, it is dangerous to fight at like a, a higher pace than he usually does. Um, make Burns like run out of ideas, back up, m make Burns fight in the in the spaces that he's less comfortable. I feel like Gilbert should win this but I don't know, man, the cardio is giving me pace, and Bilal, Bilal comes with with the momentum here. Um, he's a bit bigger as well, and having the better cardio, good chin as well. I don't know, man, feeling Bilal takes a decision, but should be very close, I would say. Especially, should get ugly through to the end, where maybe, like, Bilal Mohammed is just winning rounds on activity, and Gilbert's having the best... The better moments, I don't know, but I'm feeling Mohammed by decision. And with that, we get to the main event for the 135 World Championship. Ojaman Sterling, the Funk Master versus the Messenger, Henry Cejudo. So our main event, I feel is full of like question marks. Cejudo's making only his third appearance at the lead level of Bantamweight. I know he used to fight a bad way, but at the elite level, it's only his third fight. After defending his title against Dominic Cruz in 2022, was, no, it was 2020, I think. Yeah, I, I wrote that down wrong, but it was 2020. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, when it comes to Hudo, we, we don't know how he's holding up physically. And also, we don't know for sure, even at his prime, how his game first against like the top 135ers. Uh, Moraes looked quick and strong. He looked like his prime even during the fight against Cejudo. But then he had like that questionable, like sketchy fight against Aldo where both guys looked pretty bad. And then Moraes started getting knocked out by 
everyone. So, was that the result of the Cejudo fight? Or he was already like exiting his prime when he fought Cejudo? That's up for debate. Uh, Cruz clearly passed it when he fought Cejudo, <laughs> but, but it was still a good showing of what Henry Cejudo is capable of. Um, and now we have Sterling, we big, athletic, clearly on his career prime, like finding his best form when it comes to like the marriage of his physicality and his skill. Sterling, very long, will feel even longer for the Soki Cejudo. Uh, Sterling fights behind long kicks, he has good straight punches, and he presents like uh, the danger of the knees when you try to close the distance against him. Uh, so what we all want to know is how the wrestling plays out, right? Uh, Ojo, obviously one of the best wrestlers in the division, but not invincible on that area. We saw him in the past have like competitive wrestling moments with like Cody Stayman, like Brian Caraway, and we even saw like Pierre Jan convincingly or wrestle him in their first fight. Also a fight where we saw uh, Sterling gassing, pushing a pace too high for his own good. But at the same time, Ojo is not only a wrestler, uh, that's how he beat like Piero Jano on the rematch. Because his submission grappling and the position of controlling the mat are his best asset. And we don't know how Sehudo first in that department against someone of the dimensions of Sterling. And it's hard to know if if he if we will even get there in the first place. Um, so we're assuming Sehudo looks like he did in his last two fights, right? And I think he's a problematic matchup for Aljo. Uh, even with all the difficulties that Sterling presents to Sehudo. Like Sehudo obviously will probably have trouble with the distance. Uh, the distance that Sterling will post first. But Sehudo is good at figuring stuff out. Or playing out just abusing the insane durability he has to gain margins. So Hudo obviously very hard to wrestle. We saw that against Dominic Cruz. Uh, we saw that against Mighty Mouse. And godlike Shin. Like, and he has the cardio to, ab to abuse that Shin as well, right? And Ojo, even in his winning performance against Pierre Jan, got tired. Uh, he managed it, he managed it well on the second on the rematch, unlike on the first fight where he got like super tired and was a mess. He fought well on the last two rounds against uh Pierre Jan, but he fought like very defensively, like to, to take care of, of the lead he he got on the first three rounds. And Sehudo does does not have like the offensive resources that Pierre Jan have, but at the same time maybe Sehudo doesn't drop the rounds in the same way that Pierre Jan did. So it's it's a, a very different matchup, but the 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 Jan Sterling fight is the one that gave give us the more information relevant to this fight. Um I don't I don't know if if Sterling can just like take Sehudo's back of a of a transition. And obviously that's not the only thing that Sterling knows what to do, but that's like has been his winning card against the most dangerous matchups. Uh I don't know, man. It's hard to tell. Like uh he's so 
he will be so big next to Cejudo, so it's hard to tell. Cejudo obviously is not gonna lack on the strength department, on the on the on the speed department, or maybe he does after all these years. We don't know, but we're assuming Cejudo looks good. But I think Cejudo goes into fights with with very good scouting, and I think he will have like the measures to deal, especially with the back take. Maybe he will have trouble on the feet, especially at first against the, the distance. We saw Moraes trying to pose a distance against uh, Cejudo. And while I would say like Moraes obviously a better striker than Aljo, uh, being long and annoying is like the whole Aljo thing. That's not like Moraes thing. Moraes likes to throw down in the pocket when he was at his best. And that gave like opportunities to Cejudo to like close distance and grab clinches. Also, like, the clinch probably will be very competitive in this one. So Cejudo doesn't have that as a, as a surefire way to, to get damage going. So it's all, like, very, like, hard to tell. But uh, the impression I, I get is that Cejudo comes into the fight with good scouting, with a good idea of what he has to do. And he has the cardio, he has the durability to start bullying Sterling eventually, like Pierre Jan did in their first fight. But Cejudo like won't like crap the bed with a uh, with an illegal strike, um, picking Cejudo by a fourth round knockout, um, and that's it. I mean, we have a few good fights on this one, so let's let's check some of those before saying goodbye here. Um, the opening fight: Daniel Santos versus Johnny Munoz Jr. Uh, watch that one. That one is going to be action packed. That one's going to be good. Shumagulov versus Stevam should be interesting. Uh, interesting to see how uh, Rafael Stevam's grappling looks uh, at this level against a, a solid wrestler who has striking like Shumagulov. Um, Wallace, uh, Chaos Williams versus Bedoya, not a high level fight, but. Interesting to see if Bedoya can survive because when he gets going, he can he can be a fun fighter to watch. And Williams, huge power, so maybe a possibility for a spectacular knockout there. Uh, Dover versus Frebola. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say Dover is going to win, but I think it's going to be very action-packed, very entertaining uh, while it lasts. Uh, Frebola also like good cardio and good chin, so maybe it goes the distance. But a good fight, good fight. That one's going to be good. Crown Gracie versus Jordan. It's either like Gracie gets to do his submission thing, or Jordan beats his fucking ass because he's so mean when he's winning. So do not miss that one. Ivloyev always never miss a, a, an Ivloyev fight. Diego Lopez good addition to the UFC. Uh, not sure if this one will be very competitive, but should be good. Andrade also like never miss an Andrade fight, and then the the top two fights are good. So, so yeah, I mean, thank you everyone for listening. I I think I got you guys like too long already on this one. Uh, but yeah, yeah, thank you guys for your support. Remember to to share the podcast with with your friends. Support us on Patreon on the fight site. Uh. You can always write me on Twitter if you have any question. I'm always up to talking MMA with you guys. Uh, I'll see you on Monday with the Early Premiums Podcast. Uh, thank you for the reception for the new podcast, by the way. 
Um, if you want to make any questions or send me anything you want me to comment on on that podcast, you can just like uh, reach out to me on 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 this on the Discord server or on Twitter. I'm Fenyo and I'm signing out.